This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. Hello, I'm Jonathan Dimbleby. Thanks for taking the time to download this edition of Any Questions from BBC Radio 4. Welcome to Glasgow, birthplace, as the city insists, sorry Edinburgh, of the Scottish Enlightenment. We are in the city's west end near the University of Glasgow at Wellington Church, a 19th century neoclassical building which is owned by the congregation of the Church of Scotland but open to other Christian denominations as well as many other communities. In our case, the community of Any Questions followers and our panel. Ian Blackford was a banker and investment manager before winning his seat at Westminster from Charles Kennedy in 2015, a month before the death of the former Liberal leader. Since the last election, he's been leader of his party at Westminster. Michael Forsyth, as he then was, served in John Major's government as Secretary of State for Scotland. He now works in the City of London and is properly known as Lord Forsyth, but I expect he'll answer to Michael, you never know. Will you? You weren't listening. (laughs) You better listen to the questions. Chion Wurra was born in Newcastle and became the city's first black MP in 2010. An engineering graduate who's worked in the industry, she's now Shadow Secretary of State for Industrial Strategy, Science and Innovation, one of those rare politicians who has first-hand experience of the brief for which she has responsibility. Ian Martin is Scottish by birth and read history just down the road from here at the university before entering the trade of journalism. He's a former editor of The Scotsman. He's worked for Telegraph Titles as a senior executive and he's now a regular columnist for The Times. Our panel. Our first question, please. Wilson Aitken. Does the government have a clue about what it's going to do about Brexit? Um, Ian Martin, we've got, it appears that the EU doesn't. The British are discovering, as we are, said Claude Juncker, who's the chair of the commission just the other few hours ago, as we are day after day, we're discovering new problems. We can't we can't find for the time being a real compromise as far as the remaining financial commitments of the UK Mm. are concerned. As we are not able to do this, we will not be able to say in the European Council in October that we can now move to the second phase of negotiations. They have to pay. They have to pay. Does the government have a clue, Ian Martin? Not much of one, uh, I'm afraid to say. Uh, I mean, I think, and I would acknowledge that um, someone who voted to leave um, the European Union, that the situation as it's currently being played out is, how can I phrase this politely, sub-optimal. And I think that that is um, a consequence, really, of the country not having a functioning prime minister and trying to do this extraordinary exercise with a prime minister whose authority was damaged by the election and has been damaged since. I think there is quite a lot going on behind the scenes that's pretty sensible in terms of planning for no deal. I think it is possible, if you look at what you saw with Barnier this week in Brussels, Barnier wants to move things forward to to the trade part of the talks, but it's very, very difficult for Brussels to work out who is in charge uh, uh, in Westminster, and if no one in Westminster can answer the question, who's actually in charge of the Brexit strategy and what's the direction, how can you expect the German foreign ministry to know, or indeed um, Barnier? You've written that uh, Theresa May should be persuaded to stand down. The proverbial men in grey suits should come and say the game is up. Um, who would you put in her place? I'm not necessarily sure it should be men in grey suits. There might be women, women. involved as well. Um, I, think, I think you get to a point where 
all authority is gone, uh, and I think they probably can't go through a leadership race. There probably isn't time, so they have to find someone. I don't think that can be Boris Johnson, and you don't then have a perfect list. I would suggest it's probably Amber Rudd or David Davis. Thank you. Um, Chion Wura. Well, it, it is absolutely shambolic, isn't it? I mean, I'm not sure that is a, a question that can have any other answer. And I just, uh, the reason why business support for the Tories, for the Conservative government, is draining away is because they see, you know, I mean, I worked in business, I did 100 million dollar pound negotiations they see that the negotiating approach is absolute it's belligerence followed by petulance followed with by inconsistency with a bit of backstabbing thrown in just to make a change and um this is it's not about the tory party's jobs fair this is about all our futures and we need a jobs first Brexit, a Brexit that prote protects people's jobs. And just to say that no, the idea that no deal is an option on the table when that would mean, um, you know, the border with Northern Ireland, it would mean 30, 40% tariffs on dairy, it would mean 10% tariffs on automotive, I mean, it would, apparently it would mean that our airplanes couldn't take off or land as well. You know, that should not be an option. What we say, you know, we've got to be We've got to be clear. We want to protect jobs. Obviously, it's hard negotiations. We need to be, you know, you need to be strong. You need to be firm. But to go in with a shared vision of where you're trying to get to, which is a strong, prosperous economy for the United Kingdom and for the European Union, and not this sort of backstabbing shambles, which is, you know, destroying confidence. Lord Forsyth. You know, I think these attacks on the Prime Minister are pretty disgraceful. Um, our, country, our country is faced with a momentous change. And what we should be doing as a country is uniting behind the Prime Minister in order to get the best deal for, for, for our country. Who imagines that these attacks saying our government is a shambles is anything other than meat and drink to people in Brussels? And let's be clear about this. What, what is holding up the negotiations? What is preventing these negotiations going ahead is because Brussels are saying, unless you give us a very large sum of money, which we won't be able to justify to you, then we are not going to allow you to continue to do business with us as a trading country. That's what they're saying. This is the politics of Al Capone. This is extortion. And what we need, what we need is for these negotiations to continue. But these negotiations will not continue as long as Brussels are determined to argue that we have to give them a huge sum of money, which is, incidentally, money we would have to borrow and money which we cannot afford. And as for the Prime Minister, I, I mean, I'm not name-dropping, but I had dinner with her just uh, a few weeks ago before the conference. You've just name-dropped. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I don't know her. She got into Parliament, um, she got into Parliament when I was thrown out by uh, the voters in Scotland in 1997. And what I found was a woman who used a four-letter word which I've not heard for a very long time, and that word was duty. And what I found was a woman who absolutely knew the detail, who was, one, who was wanting to talk about housing uh, and how we could deal with the housing problems, who was wanting to talk about student finance and how we could deal with these things, and, of course, Brexit. So I have to say, Jeremy Corbyn at the Labour Party conference said, 
that the Labour Party's policy was to stay within the basic terms of the single market and the customs union for a limited transition period. That is exactly the same as the government is, is, is saying. So people should stop playing politics and start actually standing up for their country and getting the best deal for it. Um, Lord, Lord Forsyth, given the fierce debate there is in, 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 the, in your party, a very open debate, are you one of those who thinks that money should be spent now to deal, which could be hundreds of millions or billions should be spent now in order to deal with the consequences if there is a, a cliff at the end rather than a solution? Or are you with the Chancellor um, saying, I will spend it at the last possible moment? Well, I mean, if the Chancellor is saying you shouldn't spend any money until you have to, then all of us would agree with that because it's our money that he's spending. Uh, and, and those people who say that um, actually, Chai's just said this, um, that we shouldn't say that we're prepared to walk away. I'd love to do a negotiation with anyone who says they're not prepared to walk away. We have to have a plan B for the future of our country and for the future of our children. Of course, we don't want to walk away, but you should learn from your mistakes. David Cameron made the mistake of negotiating with them and saying, whatever we decide, we'll never want to leave the European Union. And as the result, they gave them nothing which is why we had the referendum and why we voted to leave. I've got one more question on, on this. Uh, Lord Lawson, uh, predecessor, of course, of the present Chancellor, has said effectively he ought to be sacked. He actually said he ought to be sacked. Um, are you with him or not? Uh, I, uh, uh, Nigel Lawson sits next to me in the House of Lords, and we talk about these issues. And both Nigel Lawson and I sat in governments where the rule was, if you don't agree with what the cabinet has decided after you've had a vigorous debate. If you don't agree with that, you can't fall in, you resign. If you remain in the cabinet, then you all sing from the same hymn sheet. And that's what I'd like to see all members of the cabinet and the government doing for the reasons I've just explained. Would you, would you in, the, in the meantime, care to answer the question, which is, do you side with Lord Lawson in relation to the, to the Chancellor, or do you side... I, I think I, I, uh, the Chancellor is a friend of mine. I think the Chancellor uh, is doing an excellent job, but the Chancellor, like every other member of the Cabinet, has got to stick to the agreed policy, and we need to have a firm agreed policy which we present to our colleagues Have there any evidence Europe. that he hasn't or isn't sticking to the agreed policy? Well, you were implying he wasn't. I, I'm asking you. You're the person who the answers. I, I, if, if you ask... All right, I'll answer the question if you absolutely insist. No, I don't agree with Nigel Lawson that he should be sacked. Fine, thank you. Um, and now uh, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Jonathan. Of course, the question was, does the government have a clue in what it's doing over Brexit? I think the simple answer is no, it does not. And to have the situation that we've had over the last few hours where the Chancellor of the Exchequer is referring to the European Union as our enemy... What a way for us to be negotiating. And frankly, he ought to resign based on the insult that he's given to the, he did, the he people would, he of Europe. He withdrew and apologised for well, it. He's apologized, he was using the word adversary. And, and in well, the... he, he, he shouldn't have done it. And, it's, and it's, 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 it's a real mistake. But really what we should be looking at here, where we are and where the government's going. If you go back to what Theresa May said at our Lancaster House speech, that we're coming out of Europe, we're coming out of the single market, we're coming out of the customs union, but we want a free trade deal with Europe. We have never had it explained to us how on earth you can come out of the customs union and the single market and, hey, presto, you can do a deal that gives you free trade with Europe. It is a fantasy. And we...
what people need to recognise that there is a real threat to the economy here in Scotland and to the rest of the United Kingdom. Fraser of Allender, much reputed institution, has said that the impact of Scotland of coming out of the single market in the customs union would be a loss of 80,000 jobs, that each person will be £2,000 worse off. That is what this government is doing. It is economic suicide that we're seeing from this plan. And that's why I believe that we have got to argue that we must stay in the single market and the customs union unless there's a viable alternative. And actually, I believe we can construct a majority for that uh, inside Parliament. But there's a second you know, element... Just before you do the second thing, on that, you believe remain inside permanently inside both the customs union and the single market, yes? That can be done. That can be done by coming out of the EU, because you can do that through the, the EE and the EFTA route as, as, as and, one thing on And that. you have to accept, then, the rules of the EU without having any say in those rules. You, you, in the case of, of most of the countries, you also accept freedom of movement. You're, you're not, you're well, not... actually, there's, there's a really important point to that as well, and that is that we need free movement of people here in Scotland, because we face a demographic challenge. And one of the things that Westminster should do is give us powers over immigration here in Scotland so we can devise something that's fit for our needs. But on that particular issue as well, there's something very important that is happening. Because when devolution was established in 1997, that through the Scotland Act, there were, there were reserved powers. And in that act, they refined the, the, the legislation said what was reserved and what was not. And areas such as agriculture and fisheries were devolved to the Scottish Parliament. When we talk about the taking back control, which is exactly what they're doing, what they didn't tell you is they're actually going to have a power grab against the Scottish Parliament. It is a real threat to the constitution which is taking place. Are you... That's... That, that's a, a frequently made SNP point. Is there any evidence you have, apart from suspicion, that the central government in London would actually seek not to hand back those powers which were devolved with the consent of the central government? The point, Jonathan, is that there are 115 areas where they're interfering in devolved competencies. And there are Conservative members of the Scottish Parliament that have made that point as well. This is actually a very serious issue because for the first time it is talking about the Scottish Parliament and its powers and the interference of the powers of the Scottish Parliament without having a negotiation with the government and the Parliament in Edinburgh. Lord Forsyth. This is just such nonsense. This, this party, this Scottish Nationalist Party, want to leave our biggest single market, which is the rest of the United Kingdom, where 68% of our exports, exports go to. Our exports to the European Union single market is 16%. So it is a perverse uh, position. This is a party, by the way, which had the largest percentage of people voting to leave the European Union in its membership in the referendum. This is a party that says they want decisions which affect Scotland to be made in Scotland. So they're actually arguing that they prefer our fishing policy and our agricultural policy to be decided in Brussels rather than being brought back to the United Kingdom. And on the point about devolving fishing, in order to make treaties with other countries, in order to control our fishing waters, for example, you need to be a nation state. And the nation state is the United Kingdom. And the people of Scotland voted to keep it that way. Can I, can I, can I ask uh, you, Ian Martin, putting your observer's hat on, if you like, and mm. seeing the, the debate, which we've explored a bit now, uh, between those who think that the Chancellor ought, in order to have any chance of being ready for yeah. a collapse, should now be spending a great deal of money providing where customs 
ports are space, concrete are you know, new concrete areas to make sure that the mm. customs border isn't too close to the, to the edge and so on. Everyone talks about billions of pounds to make that possible. It takes a long time to do. Yeah. Should he be doing that, in your view, now, or is it something that can be left, as he is indicating, because he wants to spend it on, on uh, be able to spend it, on other issues, health, education, welfare, and so on? He should be doing it now, because as it stands at the moment, it looks as though no deal is now a serious possibility. So he should be doing, he should be doing some of that, but the major problem that the Chancellor has is that he's lost the confidence of a lot of his colleagues, because you still saw this today with this business about describing the European Union as the enemy and then having to, having to apologise. Would, so would, would you be in your campaign for getting rid of the Prime Minister? Would you add the Chancellor <laughs> in as well? I have to say, I think most of a large chunk of this current Tory generation at Westminster are just done, and I would think that the, half of the cabinet needs clearing out, and they need a complete rethink. Chianwara. I'm not sure whether Lord Forsyth was saying that it was a shambles and we shouldn't mention it, or it wasn't a shambles. But what is certain is that the government needs. To, when he talks about people not getting behind the government, he's talking about people in the government getting behind Theresa May and um, what the question that we're asking as, mem as mem members of parliament is whether the department will publish the studies into the effects of Brexit because the effects of Brexit particularly in the, in, in the regions particularly in Scotland particularly on different industries and different sectors we know that the department has been doing this work but they were refusing to publish it because this, they, is the, this is the impact assessment. The, that it's impact, called. the right. impact assessment. They're refusing to publish it, it because they know that they, that the impact. Briefly, in Martin, the question I would ask is: Were those impact assessments compiled by the same civil servants who compiled the data before the referendum, which predicted a recession which didn't happen last year? Okay. Well, I understand they've had to take on about another 100, 200 staff, so possibly new. Okay. Uh, possibly new. Let me. I've got. Uh, you, Lord Forsyth, were nodding away when Ian Martin uh, said that the money should be spent early now, it's billions. Um, uh, you believe that the Chancellor should, even if there is an impact on borrowing, even if there is an impact on uh, the budget, even if there is less money, therefore, on welfare, housing, etc., he should spend that money now as, uh, to, in terms of playing safe? I, I think he should be spending money on ensuring, for example, that we use technology to have the best immigration control system in the world. The Australians have done that. He should be spending the money in order to ensure that we have really effective, fast customs. The technology is there. Other countries have done it. And we need that. We are going to be a country which is not just trading with Europe, which is a shrinking market, but with the rest of the world. So, yes, we should prepare for a great new future, which we will have as we leave the European Union and we return given to the, the time scales that made that, this a great city given, as a trading nation. Given the timescales, that's hardly leaving it until the last moment. Um, if this is Black the last moment, if we don't... They, they if, we don't have a, if we do not have the outline of a deal by March of next year and we can't see how the... You can't have a transition period and implementation period unless you know what the deal is. And so if it's not done by March of next year, then we are going to have to prepare uh, to uh, operate like the rest of the world, like America and Canada and other countries, on WTO terms. So this is the 11th hour. It's not quite... Clock's not quite... This is precisely why it is such a problem that the Tory party mm. is a complete mess. The Tory party at Westminster at the moment is like a school 
that knows that the headmaster has lost control. And I think Michael Forsyth is absolutely right. These preparations need to be made, but there isn't faith at Westminster or I would, I the key thing, the out key, in the country, the key, the there isn't thing, the faith that, that this is being done by someone who knows use, what they're doing. To use the old phrase, you keep is the economy it. stupid? Now, the, the idea that there hasn't been a negative impact on Brexit is wrong because the first thing that happened was that the currency fell. And we're now in a situation that people are getting poorer as a consequence because we know that inflation is running way ahead of wages. And that's on the back of having had the lowest decade for wage growth in 200 years. Okay. So there's a real bit, but, the, but the point of this, Jonathan, is that the government has pumped tens of billions into the financial markets through quantitative easing. What it needs to do is to create the circumstances of investment in the economy that will drive up productivity and wages. And it needs to do that now because the economy is softening and there are real risks. And if we crash out of the single market and the customs union, it's only going to get worse. Would, would just very briefly... <laughs> this, is, this is such important territory. Very briefly to you, Chi. Uh, Lord Forsyth has made it very clear that the money should be spent now, and he concedes it is billions <laughs> of pounds to prepare for what might happen if the talks fail. Would you, would Labour be spending that money now if we're in power against that uh, possibility, or would you, uh, I don't wish to put uh, a contrast between what the Chancellor has said, but it's pretty self-evident, and what uh, Michael Forsyth is saying, would you leave it until you, as it were, last minute? Well, if we, if we were in government, we would be focusing the Brexit talks on getting a Brexit deal which works for the economy, and which so works would you, for you, jobs. You would, so so Labour would have no... Labor, forgive me. You're saying you could not fail under Labour because in the end you'd accept whatever terms you got. We're saying that we would be, we'd be working together in this deep partnership with the European Union, which uh, Theresa May has now decided to, to call it. Um, we would be working together to get a deal, which is in all our interest. I think that the, the government should not, should not be focusing on a scenario of failure. And when they have this, the, the magic money tree, which comes out to, um, which comes out to, to pay for um, the idea, the prospect of no deal that there are, we need to be focusing on getting a deal and getting investment. And the fact is that with the economy softening, with, um, the, re with, the, um, with, the, with the reforecasting of our productivity, the Chancellor has even less headroom. And if he spends money on, a f on failure, that will be less money for everything else. OK, uh, we must leave it there. On that issue, should that money be spent now or not, and on the question of whether or not the government has a clue, as uh, our questioner put it, um, any answers? Anita Arnand will be there, 03 700 100 444. The line's open at 12.30 after the Saturday broadcast, before the Saturday broadcast of the programme. You can email any.answers at bbc.co.uk, tweet the hashtag BBCAQ, and you can follow us at BBC any questions, as some of you are already doing. Um, we've had lots of comments on this. One of these which does not require an answer. It's just a pithy comment from one of our uh, uh, audience, uh, Michael Mason. Does Theresa May have a secret plan to let Brexit look so bad she can call it off? We'll go to our next. Alison Sparway. Is Nicola Sturgeon a wiser or a luckier leader than the leader of Catalonia, in her journey towards independence. Um, Chi Onwara. 
Um, I think um, Nicola Sturgeon is certainly um, a luckier leader um, in, in as much as, for, for the first thing, she is the leader of a national party, nationalist party, in a country which recognises and has recognised a path to potential independence. So the independence referendum was um, agreed between the, um, the UK government and between the, uh, the, Scottish, the Scottish National Party. And that is not the case in Catalonia. The, Catalonia cons oh, the Spanish constitution does not allow for a path towards independence. But what's also clear is I think she is, I'm, I think in politics you're not really lucky or unlucky, you make your own luck. And um, after 10, 11 years in power, the Scottish National Party have, um, well, they've lost a, a referendum and not yet found a role. Um, I would say they have, um, they, the, na they exist for one purpose, which is, um, the clue is in the, in the name. My party is called the Labour Party. It exists to support and give the opportunity to working people. The Scottish National Party exists for the purpose of a, a national identity. And that means that, for example, the NHS in Scotland, um, the, um, the latest report by NHS Scotland shows that it's only one of the eight key performance indicators that are being met. Okay, look, they, look absolutely, I just say that implementing Tory austerity in Scotland by taking up, by cutting local authorities, 1.5 billion out of local authorities. Well, if you're, if you're, if you're not, if you're shaking your head, what are you not doing? Where I, I are you investing? Where are you raising uh, finances uh, um, to invest you're, in you're, the country? You're, you're, you're addressing that, and I'm not coming to him straight away to Ian Blackford. Uh, Alison Spurby wants to know about the Catalonia issue, and Nicola Sturgeon, is she wiser or luckier? We could, as we've done in the past, spend a great deal of time talking about domestic uh, policy, but let's focus on that if we could. Um, Lord Forsyth. I'm really very worried by what has happened in Catalonia. Um, we've, we've done the EU, but I mean, I think it is shocking that the EU couldn't bring themselves to condemn the behavior by the Spanish police towards those people in Catalonia who were trying to vote, albeit in an illegal referendum. Um, it's... Um, it's very dangerous to make comparisons between Scotland and Catalonia. In Scotland, of course, we had a democratic uh, referendum uh, where the Scottish government were allowed to choose the timing and even the question. Uh, in Catalonia, you had uh, a referendum which was unconstitutional and the Spanish government set their face against it. The other big com comparison is that Catalonia is one of the richest parts of Spain and gives money to other parts of the... And, uh, Scotland is not, actually. Scotland is actually dependent, especially with the collapse of, of North Sea oil, on very substantial transfers of wealth. And that is the secret of having a union. And it is one of the problems with the European Union that the Germans are not actually prepared to pay the bills for keeping a union um, and support countries like Spain and, and Italy and Greece. So I, I believe that that model... Uh, is under great stress and difficulty, and I think it's extremely foolish for the European Union to wish to move towards greater integration. And what you're seeing in Catalonia is a manifestation of some of the uh, uncertainty and concerns which you can see across Europe. You can see it in the rise of the far right in Germany and elsewhere. So I think we should be very, very concerned indeed by what's happening in Catalonia, and I hope that the Spanish government will show the common sense 
and delicacy of touch, which David Cameron did as Prime Minister, and that those people who are crying out for the people's voice to be heard respect the results of referenda and don't want to ask the same question over and over again. SNP leader at Westminster, Ian Blackford. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Firstly, in, in terms of Catalonia, I'm sure many people here in, in the audience would have um, seen the pictures that emerged from Catalonia a week past Sunday, and they were absolutely disgraceful scenes. And I mean, I was just appalled to see the violence that was meted out to people that were going about and their obligation to, to cast their vote in a, in a referendum. It was quite shocking. And I think what we now need to have is a period of calmness that we need to have dialogue and we need to have mediation. And I think the European Union, as well as the Spanish government, have got a, a role to play in that. And let's hope that we can get to a situation that there will be measured talk there. And as far as the situation with uh, my colleague and my friend, Nicola Sturgeon, and Gia, you said, lost a referendum but haven't found a role. Well, actually, we've been in government in Scotland for 10 years. And I think that we have done a tremendous job of leading the country. And I think that's demonstrated by the fact that opinion polls last weekend showed that we have a 17% lead against our nearest opponents. This is a, Tories, a popular no. government. It's actually, it's actually, I can hear Michael saying the Tories. It's not, because you've, it's actually, not, you've actually fallen back to, to third vote. place. So okay. the bubble, the bubble seems to have burst. But I want to tackle the specific issue where Michael seemed to suggest that we've been subsidy junkies because figures from Westminster, House of Library figures, show that for most of the last 40 years, it's actually been the other way around that we have subsidised the rest of the United Kingdom. But let's deal specifically with the issue of oil that was raised. £340 billion of tax receipts have come from Scotland since the late 1970s, and we've got absolutely nothing to show for it. You contrast that with a country the same size as Scotland, Norway, that has an oil fund of $1 trillion. That, my friends, is an absolute disgrace. Okay, we haven't okay. had the benefit. Okay, of just one, Ian, just one, one brief thing. Um, you're talking enthusiastically about the principle of independence and the strength that you have. When would you like to see the, uh, the next referendum well, on independence? We're, we're getting on with the job that the Scottish people have elected us to, which is to provide government in Edinburgh. We have a, we have a, man, we have a mandate from the people of Scotland delivered at the Scottish election last year if there are a material change of circumstances that we have a right to call a referendum. If Scotland is dragged out of the single market and the customs union, that would be that material change of circumstances. And you can bet your boots that once there's clarity as far as the Brexit negotiations are taking place, if it's right for the people of Scotland to have their say, just as it's right for every other country in Europe to vote on that Brexit deal, surely it's right, given the fact that we've been taken out of Europe against our will because Scotland voted to remain. And the one thing that Better Together said, Labour, Conservative and Liberal Democrat, in 2014, if we stayed in the UK, our destiny in Europe would be protected. We may have to protect ourselves and protect ourselves from that economic cliff edge and independence will be the way to do it. Ian Martin. The question was, is Nicola Sturgeon a wise or lucky Wiser leader? or luckier than wiser the leader of I'm not sure about that. I think she has, though, an absolute cheek. The SNP have been in power in Scotland for 10 years. 
the record on education in particular, the waste of human capital, is extraordinary. If you look at, look at, the, look at the international rankings last year, where Scotland fell to its worst ever level. This is a shocking failure. You've had 10 years of power. And only at this late... Only at this very late ten, stage ten do years you ago, finally, this ten week, years start ago, announcing some education reforms. of pupils leading school in Glasgow went out with three hires. It's now 30%. That's a decade of achievement in education from the Scottish National Party government. Okay. As, as, ever, as, ever with the, as ever with the nationalists, they always want to move it back onto the only question in which you're ultimately interested, which is breaking up the United Kingdom, which is why you had so many MPs and MSPs off disgracefully playing politics in Catalonia, a very delicate situation which can do without people flying in from the Scottish Parliament or from your group at Westminster to cause trouble and stir things up. Things are dangerous Even, enough. I have to say, Ian, I'm very, very surprised with that because those that were there, my colleagues that went there, went there as international observers. No, they didn't. To no, they able, didn't. To be able to report back... They were invited oh, 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 by the Catalan Parliament. Joanna Cherry was there as an official observer, part of the international For the Catalan community. Parliament. But it, sorry, did you say, are, you, are you saying there's something wrong about them being there, invited by the Catalan Parliament to observe? I just... I, I that, just that's, that's, that's not... That's, that's, that's different not, from causing that trouble. That is not the same as being a uh, no, yeah, no, but, that, but the point... For, not forgive the same me, thing. Ian, what you said was... I can't quote yes, you exactly, precisely. but the, 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 it will... The, the transport show, they went there to cause trouble. Right. You follow it on social media, they were completely partisan. Now, the scenes, as Ian Blackford said, were disgraceful. And there is stress and tension on both sides. This is a very delicate moment in European history. And the last thing it needed was some of that stuff which but happened Ian, on social Ian, media Ian, last I, week from I, the Nationalists. I, I, I agree with you, but this is a delicate moment. But Joanna and the others that were there have said the same thing that I've said tonight, that there has to be mediation... What we want to make sure is that there can be peace in Spain, that there is stability in Spain. Joanna and my colleagues behaved in a manner which was thoroughly professional, there to observe, and actually I'm slightly surprised that you've taken... So you don't want Catalan independence? Michael Forsyth. I didn't answer the question as to whether um, she was lucky or not. I think she's very lucky, and the reason she's very lucky is because under our feet are huge deposits, probably, of shale gas... And she's very stupid because she's decided not to use them. So had the SNP been in power in the 70s, Scotland's oil would still be under the North Sea. OK, we're going to leave that there because the panel, the panel does not know what the questions are in advance, but it may be that any response to that may come in answer to this next question. I do know what the next question is. Can we please have it? Caroline jones Carrick. What's better for protecting vulnerable energy consumers, a cap on standard variable tariffs or a government-run non-profit energy company? The government of Westminster is promising a cap, which could last, may not come in for 18 months or so, on the standard variables up until perhaps 2023. Scotland is establishing, the Scottish government is establishing a non-profit company. And there are also those who argue that it should be left to the market in any case. Uh, Ian Blackford. Well, this is a subject very dear to my heart. In, in my constituency of Roskai and Lochaber, 70-odd percent of pensioners are in fuel poverty. It's an absolute outrage that that is the case. 
And so I'm proud that we have come up with this non-profit energy company as a, a way that we can offer people uh, access to the energy markets on, on, a, on the basis that we're not going to be rewarding shareholders, that there's not going to be large bonuses given to directors of companies. What we're trying to do is drive down costs. We're trying to do our bit. But the biggest struggle we face, let me say to you, is the fact that in the United Kingdom, there are 14 regional markets for electricity distribution. And in the north of Scotland, we pay some of the highest prices. We pay a two pence per kilowatt hour uh, uh, surcharge to pay it elsewhere in the country. That means that people are paying 15% more for their electricity in the highlands of Scotland, in the wettest, windiest part. And Andrea Leadsom, when she was the energy minister, said that people shouldn't be expected to pay a higher price for their electricity just because of where they lived. Yet that's exactly what this government's doing, it, it, and that scandal in, should end. In, in the, in the, in the, once you've introduced this company, just for those who aren't familiar with the proposal, um, presumably Scottish consumers will be able to choose where they go for their uh, energy, That's right. any, any of the existing companies, you'll be an additional company covering, you hope, in due course, the whole of Scotland. Is that right? Yeah, well, we, we, when obviously there's more details will come on this over the course of the coming period, and it will be operational by the end of the, the current parliament. But initially, we're talking about a distribution model, and the intention is that consumers throughout Scotland will have the opportunity of buying electricity from this not-for-profit organisation. Jim um, uh, Warrow. Which is the best route, Caroline Jones asks. Um, well, that's an excellent question, and I would say to you that the answer is, why choose? Yeah. Both. That is exactly what uh, our, the Labour Party manifesto is setting out, that we should have. We, we've said we would introduce an emergency cap, because just to be clear, the legislation put before Parliament this week does not, does not introduce a cap for this winter. So it is not going to help those choosing between heating and eating this winter. The t government has been dithering. They ran an election promising to introduce a cap uh, which would save 17 million consumers £100 each. And now we found after seven, five months of dithering, we may have something sometime next year and they can't say how much, how many people will save. So what we say is that the energy market is broken. Uh, it, is, it, has got, it is consolidated. It is not competitive it is not offering consumers the right kinds of choices or the right deals we believe that every consumer is about a thousand pounds worse off because of the consolidation and the dysfunction of the energy market and you know I, I used to work for Ofcom which regulates the telecoms markets we worked a lot with the energy market regulators the energy market is broken and it needs substantial reform so we say that day one in energy a, a, a energy price cap, which would price it cap at a thousand pounds for dual fuel average, and then at the same time a reform of the energy market, and part of that bringing in local not-for-profit energy suppliers, as well as taking the um, energy grid into uh, the public hands. Thank this you. is a full reform of the energy market. We are the only party that is offering that, and that is what we need to ensure that people can heat their homes. Ian Martin. I think that Ian Blackford is right that people are annoyed about this and that there are serious concerns that the market is dysfunctional and not working and that too many people are paying too much. The question then is, what on earth do you do about this? Now, I fail to see how removing competition and moving towards nationalisation and price fixing is going to increase competition. It, it, 
implicitly removes competition. It's the not, deep, it's not the a competitive deep, market. It is not a competitive right, market. And the cost of regulating it to try and make it competitive is so high and it is not working. It, it, it's not... I, I think the root of the problem is, you, if you go back to the 80s when uh, uh, Michael Forsyth and the Thatcherites were in government and the, the um, privatisation programme went through, it was envisaged, and it has been, let's face it, the regulatory structure has failed... It was envisaged that regulation would take care of quite a lot of this, that these private operators would be punished and fined and held to account. I think before the country embarks on incredibly expensive programs at a difficult time to renationalize and to completely tear up the energy market, it would be worth trying to completely reinvigorate the regulatory structure and to really hold these companies' uh, feet to the fire. It's cheaper and you're more likely to get better competition that way and, re and results in cheaper energy. O off Jim has indicated, not as unambiguously as I'm about to say, that, that you sort of watch out because um, you may find that people suffer more as a consequence of putting the cap on than by putting a cap on the standard variable. I, I thought you meant watch out from Ofgem, which is we've all been waiting for that for about, for about 20 <laughs> years. They're, they're, really suge they're, su you, they're suggesting they're not entirely happy with the idea of well, the cap. Price fixing and, and capping, all of that stuff was tried, tested to destruction, and yeah. doesn't work. There's price fixing in the telecoms market right cheaper, now. If you want cheaper it's prices... And this also applies to terrible dysfunction in the water industry in England as well, which has been loaded up with debt from private equity. All of that, use the regulator and hold these uh, companies' feet to the fire. Don't waste money nationalising them. Thank you. Lord Forsyth. Uh, the Prime Minister said she wanted to do something for people who were just about managing uh, uh, when she entered number 10. And the difference, I got the figures uh, today, the difference, if you take the big six uh, energy providers, the difference between an average um, standard variable term bill, and the cheapest one is currently over £270. Now, it isn't competition to say that those people who switch and keep moving pay less, whilst those people who perhaps you know, are not computer literate or don't have the time to do it pay more. And so I think as a short-term measure, it's absolutely right to put a cap on this so that people are not ripped off who don't actually want to spend their days switching, and all that does is pass the burden from one lot of consumers to another. That is not competition in my book. And I think the Prime Minister is absolutely right when she says the energy market is broken, just as the housing market is broken. And people might not expect Tories to actually take on the big battalions of the big companies in order to create a proper market, and this is what she's doing. Now, if you, I'll give you an example. I've got some quite rich friends, and they... <laughs> And, and they're put, uh, have you noticed how all the trees are being cut down in Scotland? Have you noticed that all the trees are being cut down in North America? Uh, and they're being turned into pellets. And they're going into biomass generators. And they cost a lot of money. And the subsidy means that the payoff is something like three years. And who's paying for this? The people who are paying for this are the poorest people in the community because it's on their electricity bills. So okay. we need to take a wholesale look at the whole energy market, and that is what the Prime Minister is committed to doing. The idea that Nicola Sturgeon should be uh, wasting scarce capital resources, which should be going into our schools okay. and hospitals, on setting up a generating company, I want goodness to me. Forgive, forgive, me forgive me, Michael, I want squeezing, and it's literally squeezing in one more question. Lynn Dunnicky. 
When you go out guising at the end of the month, will you tell a joke, recite a poem, or sing a song? Guising, for those in England who don't know, is a sort of upmarket, better quality version of trick and treat. Uh, Michael Forsyth. Uh, well, uh, being a banker and a politician, I'll recite a poem. Or oh, what some power the gift of gears to see ourselves as others see us. <laughs> um, Ian Martin. Well, I think I would probably tell a joke related to me sitting my first-year politics exam um, in, the, in this very hall, actually, and you'll be unsurprised to hear that I uh, failed and then went on to study history instead. So a joke, I think. That's a pretty poor joke if you <laughs> fail, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, Chion Wura. Well, um, given that my singing voice isn't all it could be, I would uh, probably recite a poem, and one poem that has been coming to mind as I see the uh, mess that we're making of, uh, of Brexit and the struggles in the Conservative Party would be, uh, in Xanadu did Kubla Khan a stately pleasure dome decree where Alf the sacred river ran through caverns measureless to man until a sightless sea. Thank you. And um, Ian Blackford. Well, as a young boy going round, I was a great lover of Burns, so I would probably do Ye banks and braes, O bonny doon, how can ye bloom, say fresh and fair? <laughs> Everyone wants to hear more. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the most unusual end to any questions that we've had for as long as I can remember, and a rather lovely one. Thank you very much. Uh, and to our, I was going to say, congregation, our audience here who joined in. Um, if you want to join in any answers, 03700 100 444, Anita Unn will be there, and the line's open, as I say, after the, uh, it is, of course, the programme is after the Saturday broadcast of this programme, um, the line's open at 12.30, so do get on those lines early, because they're quite busy at the moment. Next week, we're going to be in Hampshire, uh, amongst others, the uh, chair of the select committee on Brexit is Hilary Benn, and we're also the director general of the CBI, Karen Fairbairn. Maybe we'll have someone from the government, maybe we'll have someone from the shadow cabinet. I expect we'll have one or the other or both. Um, but from here, meanwhile, in Wellington Church, in Glasgow, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here to our audience here. Thank you to our panel. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed any questions this week. To find out more about the programme or how you can get us to come to your area, then go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions.